0: The show goes on. The official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, speaking to you from the parking lot of a Publix in West Palm Beach with about 69% of my voice gone after attending the past few Marlins games here in Florida. I'll talk more about that trip at the end of the pod. This is where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. I guess it could have been justifiable for me to take a Monday off on recording the pod uh, while I'm still finishing up this trip. But there's a lot going on. This is the unofficial midpoint of the 2022 Grapefruit League schedule. I wanted to go through a whole bunch of takeaways and of course, you know, getting you up to date on the latest of what's going on in camp with this Marlins team. Just 11 days away from their opening day game of the 2022 regular season, the most anticipated regular season for sure of this team since the ownership change under Bruce Sherman. To start with a very general overview, eight games into the 15-game Grapefruit League slate, the Marlins have a 5-3 and three record. As usual, under Di Mattingly, performing well as a group, And more of that goes to the pitching staff's credit. Only one game all spring where they've allowed more than four runs to an opposing team. It just shows um, with both the major leaguers, the NRIs that they always seem to have very good luck with plucking on minor league deals, and even some of the prospects that we've seen that are outside the 40 men getting a chance occasionally to contribute. And collectively, they do a good job. You can put in all the caveats you want about the quality of competition they face, you know, certain times where they go against the example that sticks out is the first game against the Astros in spring where Houston really did their absolute best to comprise an entire unit of baseball players that were frankly nobodies going as far as they possibly could to leave away recognizable players. There have been a few of those this spring for the Marlins, and they have taken advantage of them. But I think even when you adjust for all the caveats, that they've performed about as well as any other team in this South Florida pod that they're in. That also includes the Astros, the Nationals, the Cardinals, the Mets, and the Marlins themselves. Yeah, Marlins, Nationals, Astros, Mets, Cardinals. Those five teams. So seven games remaining on this Grapefruit League slate. And some of the players that have been contributors so far this spring are not going to really be involved much as they try to divvy up what the shreds of playing time that remains. When you really boil it down, it's a maximum of geez, 63 innings that we have left in spring training to to like make decisions about this team. And that's why the team has already been busy formally optioning players, reassigning players to make it clear that um they are whittling it down to what will be a 28-man opening day roster. To react to uh, some of those internal roster machinations and a couple external moves as well uh, recently, it is, now that we've seen, given a few days removal from the decision to cut ties with Monte Harrison, remember, he was designated for assignment so that the Marlins could claim a right-handed pitcher Joan Lopez who, when you dive into it, was a semi-intriguing bullpen arm who had considerable major league experience, even though not a whole lot of success. And But as it turns out, as I'm recording this on, on Sunday, Lopez was barely a week after being claimed by the Marlins and squeezing off Monte Harrison for all the potential that he used to have and maybe still does have. Lopez himself has been designated for assignment with the Marlins, instead giving that roster spot to right-hander Tommy Nance. This is one that um, I'm kind of fine with. Tommy Nance was very effective at the start of the 2021 season. He came. He has a really interesting story, having gone through the independent ball ranks and just debuting in 2021 when he was a 30-year-old. Very unusual. Uh, some parallels to Lewis Head, for example, who the Marlins, of course, traded for uh, towards the beginning of the offseason this is a guy kind of in that same vein except uh, his overall stats are more underwhelming than heads are for sure Nance had I believe it was a 12 inning scoreless streak to begin his major league career last year and then the wheels really fell off almost precisely when major league baseball began checking and enforcing sticky substances that pitchers were using to grip the ball um without those his spin rates dropped off a little bit and his effectiveness really took a nosedive as well with Tommy Nance so it turns out in this situation with a Cubs team that is way more pitcher needy than the Marlins are if they were willing to DFA him then it just shows that there's a big question about exactly how he adjusts uh, not not only of course seeing competition again but whether if his pitch characteristics are a little bit different will they still be as effective does it put more pressure on the rest of his repertoire to like pick up the slack if his breaking balls themselves aren't doing as much damage as they used to O2. Oh inside corner ball game nice work tommy nance cubs win with Nance, he still has a couple minor league options remaining. For him to be claimed on this short notice before opening day, it, would, it does not seem that he is in contention uh, for that job in particular. Among the internal moves, the guys that we've seen optioned down uh, Gerard Encarnacion, unsurprising. He still needs to kind of prove himself at the AAA level for sure, and really the Double A level as well. Lewin Diaz, uh, people have been uh, irritated that Lewin was hyped up as much as he was two full years ago and now just still does not have a spot at all on this Marlins team because they are holding on to their other first base only guys we've talked about this particular subject before about choosing between Aguilar Cooper and Lewin Diaz no more than two out of three really makes sense on the roster at any one time and the Marlins with seem fully intending to have it be Aguilar, and Cooper, be those two on their active roster, and having Lewin just wait his turn until an injury arises between one of those two, it's a very curious situation considering how hyped up Lewin was and how this is going to be his final minor league option year, so by, as this year goes on, he better be fully ready to seize a full-time job in twenty twenty-three. Otherwise, this is kind of the circumstances where very good prospects just don't pan out. If they are handled in such a way, pry depri- like not getting the appropriate mix of reps at the major league level um, at the appropriate time, that there it just comes a point where once those players are in the big leagues, if they are out of options, you just do not have the flexibility to guide them through those rough patches the Marlins the Marlins better be extremely confident that he is um that he's going to be able to handle this the right way not not everybody does both uh, in terms of the actual preparation they put in and the psychology of it knowing that he was playing almost on a daily basis last September in the big leagues and he has already performed very well at the AAA level it's a tough spot for him it really is But on a similar note, we also need to mention Nick Fortes and Brian De La Cruz. Now, Fortes, it was a tiny sample at the end of last year in the major leagues on the heels of what was a fairly large sample, though, at AA and AAA of him just being a really good overall hitter, a a catcher that has good bat-to-ball skills and who draws rave reviews from the pitchers that have been throwing to him in terms of all the intangibles that he brings Behind the plate, he is one of the final 2018 draftees, the first draft class um, after the ownership change that still really has a viable shot of being a good big leaguer. And as the team is set up, of course, all that's open on the catching front in the majors is the backup job. Jacob Stallings is undoubtedly the number one option there. But Fortes, in my mind, w- seems like... Um, at the very least you know the runner-up for that backup job behind Alex Jackson instead the Marlins send down both Jackson which will be his final option year, and Fortes to uh, AAA that is unusual to have two guys that you are semi-invested in to be successful kind of splitting time at AAA I suppose between catcher and DH but really most of that time you would think as the starting catcher if you wanted. to give them any shots to develop as actually well-rounded players it, it's a curious handling of it they went all throughout this offseason with four catchers on the 40-man roster between Stallings and Fortes Jackson and the winner you could say of that group Peyton Henry he is the one that is still with the big league team uh, recency bias but watching him on Sunday he had a lot of trouble receiving the ball on Sunday uh, I, I'm not even going to look at the official stats but there were two what seem to be very egregious past balls and one other wild pitch. But I know that otherwise his defensive game is pretty well regarded as well as his kind of offensive ceiling as somebody that is a fairly disciplined hitter as well. That was one reason why the Marlins targeted him in the first place, trading him, acquiring him in a trade from the Brewers last July. So interesting to see that Henry is going to get his first crack at the backup job and that really all those catchers are still there. Uh, I was somewhat wondering whether that would be the case once we got to the start of the regular season, whether one of those 40-man catchers would be more appealing to another organization that actually sees them as being part of their current solution, whereas the Marlins kind of, again, having three guys that are essentially in the exact same stage of their careers seems redundant. Going back to Cruz, this was one of the most dispiriting developments uh, for myself and several of our others on the fish stripe staff dela cruz is very popular among us for good reason he did perform great in his rookie year just those final two months of the 2021 regular season after coming over from the astros and this is unusual just any way you slice it he was an above average major league hitter when he was given the chance last year Uh, overall if you want to go the one way I sorted it was by OPS plus so adjusting OPS when accounting for park factor and your league and your era he was at 113 uh last season almost the same as Jesus Sanchez 116 whereas Jesus Sanchez is on track to be an everyday player pretty much the the main center fielder for the Marlins to open the season Uh, De La Cruz is not. Some of that is about the roster flexibility, where Sanchez has no minor league options left, De La Cruz has all three. And and that's a point where I'm not totally shocked by the way that the Marlins went about this. When you just looked at the way that they went about their offseason, acquiring both Avacel Garcia and Jorge Soler, guys that you really can't expect much of at all in terms of playing center field, and with Soler, you can't really expect him to even be an athletic option in either corner outfield spots. Uh, to make a complementary team, it, it does behoove the Marlins to have a strong defensive outfielder in the middle of them at least some part of the time. And that seems to be what the next step is, that they will elevate one of their non-roster invitees. There are a few options, Roman Quinn, Delano De Shields. Brian Miller, who we saw a tiny bit in the majors last year. Of those three, Roman Quinn seems to be the most likely solution. Uh, He was the one that, I mean, they got the best head-to-head looks at him when the Marlins played the Phillies in recent years. He was the one that signed before DeShields did this spring training. And also, Brian Miller was not a formal non-roster invitee to spring training this year. If he was under serious consideration, you know, to be one an option for the opening day roster then they would have taken that step the idea that De La Cruz needs consistent reps at AAA over being a part-time player in the big leagues I don't really buy that when he's already had success when he has above all else a really steady hit tool that is something that I I don't really think that he 's in this situation where it serves his purposes in any way to get sent down. This is about the Marlins retaining as much talent as they can, um, whether assuming it is one of those free agent NRIs that squeeze onto the roster as a defensive minded center fielder, perhaps those guys had opt outs in their contract early in the regular season if they weren't already on the roster that that's a kind of a common practice for veteran major leaguers on minor league deals is that they get an opportunity to explore other teams if the one that they signed with originally is not going to give them that opportunity. I don't mind it, um, but this really just traces back to the moves that they did did make uh, this offseason, how they insisted again and again and again that they were going to go after like an everyday caliber center fielder, somebody that would have made it a lot more understandable to um to make dela cruz more of a depth piece for you instead they ended up doing what can only be explained as settling you know a plan b when they went with solaire he was not top of mind for them and it'll be interesting to uh there's some pressure on him to really validate that decision there is So far, we've had just one major league game of Solaire. That was on Saturday where he got four at-bats in in the early innings. On Sunday, he had additional reps on the backfields facing Cardinals prospects. By all accounts, he is going to be on the opening day roster, even signing as late as he did into march uh it, it is going to be enough time it seems to get him up to speed and get him into the lineup uh, i'm sure that's going to be a hot topic to talk about over this final week and a half is exactly what the marlins lineup is um it's going to look like so uh, what i did is i jotted down the lineups that they've used so far in spring training that frankly aren't all that instructive because Soler has only been in one of them right on march 26th In these eight games so far um The one inconsistency is Miguel Rojas. He is a very um, critical piece if you're trying to project exactly what this roster looks like. Rojas, for a lot of last year, was batting near the top of the lineup, um, particularly against left-handed pitchers. So far this spring, Miggy Rowe has been used in the number one spot, number two, number five, number seven, it looks like, and number nine. As well, five different spots in the lineup, in what I believe was only six games, started. That's a, that's an unusual type of versatility there. It is a roster that does not have much high end speed in it, right? It has Jazz and his athleticism, um, but he's the one that now that they have kind of revamped this roster a little bit, what holds Jazz back? From being an obvious answer at the top of the lineup is his on-base skills. This is a guy that for his career so far in the big leagues, a 296 on base percentage. Now that that's kind of the kind of number that was typical of all the Marlins hitters in recent years. For this current Marlins team, it is a lower career mark than anybody else that is lined up to be a regular for them right now. Doesn't make sense to have him at the top of the lineup just because. He is speedy and he is uh, makes aggressive base running decisions, and to satisfy his ego and all that, I don't know. You know, based on the most recent couple games, apparently not because Jazz did bat ninth and eighth respectively on the twenty sixth and on the twenty seventh. Another interesting wrinkle in there with him, and yeah, Joey Wendell is another like interesting player, a uh, one that is very malleable and could go into different parts of this lineup. He has been hitting fairly well this spring, and I was surprised to see some, how his athleticism has been graded uh, through the years when he was with the Rays, both as a someone that takes extra bases in general, his top-end sprint speed. The athleticism isn't far off what we see from somebody like Brian Anderson. And in fact, in, so, in some certain ways, he is a more valuable base runner than B.A. is. So if he's hitting as well as he is, at the start of the season, he got off to a really awesome start last year for what it's worth uh with Tampa Bay. He might be somebody that jumps all the way to the very top of the lineup just because they can trust his on base skills a little bit more those other the rest of his offensive skill set is yeah surprisingly decent, even though the one obvious element that's missing is the raw power and the ability to go deep to all fields that isn't there. But uh, otherwise, Craig Mish pointed it out on on Twitter, of course, that um, he's gone under the radar, that he does not get talked about quite enough for how important he is and for what that move signified to trade away Cameron Meisner and all his tools and all his potential to get somebody in Wendell who was coming off arguably the best year of his career and is still pretty much in the prime of his career, who has the really... Deep skill set, both offensively and defensively, to affect the game in a lot of different ways, no matter who the rest of your personnel is. To this point in the spring, knock on wood, their position player core has been very healthy. Uh, Jose Devers, really the only one on the 40 man roster with a significant setback, with him still recovering from his shoulder surgery. He was not really a candidate for the opening day roster anyway, though. Uh, the rest of that group, it's created. What is, uh, as I've always mentioned, you know, a good problem when you have more than nine starting caliber position players. So they're in a good spot with their depth of their lineup in a way that obviously we have not been used to with following this Marlins team, not just on the active roster, but as I mentioned, you know, that next way below with Dela Cruz as outfield depth and even at the catcher position with Nick Fortes, the way that he played uh, throughout several different levels last year I I think there's some real upside there with his offense um, that the Marlins need at the catcher position that that they were sorely lacking at the position uh, last year so whether he eventually gets a shot as a backup role or if he's needed to fill in as their primary catcher for any length of time the team is pretty well prepared um, for that some of the lingering position battles that we do still have is just to fill out the bullpen of this team. The rotation is clear-cut at this point with Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, Eliezer Hernandez, and Jesus Lazardo, who is raising a lot of eyebrows this spring with the way that his velocity is better than ever. He is, if he keeps his up, he is the hardest-throwing, left-handed starting pitcher in baseball, is he not? (laughs) If he's sitting 98 miles per hour with his fastball velocity... And, particularly in this most recent game, using his curveball at an alarming frequency and getting still good results on it. That being his real putaway pitch. That fastball, to be able to create that differential in velo between those pitches and syncing up the release point just as well to disguise that curveball, the, the results are going to be there. Again, I'm not going to reference his spring training, results but just the fact that he is throwing he's healthy he's fully healthy there's no question about that that is something that did hold him back some sometimes early in his professional career when he was in the minors um it's a big question of how many innings he can realistically be expected to handle even if he is super effective um this season what is clear is that they are going to give him a long leash as a starting pitcher before calling up um any of that that depth Uh, That's why Nick Neidert was already optioned down to the minors. Uh, They originally optioned Braxton Garrett and Daniel Castano before bringing them back up, but it seems pretty likely that both of them are inevitably going to go back down. There's still some decisions to be made on this pitching staff uh, based on the guys that are currently in camp, especially if Dylan Floro starts the year on the injured list, and that seems to be the case just because he's not close yet to even appearing in these spring training games much less you know, showing that he can pitch on back-to-back days uh, as he just is dealing with some general soreness as he's ramping up his arm for the season. Most of the bullpen names uh, are familiar to last year with Bass and Bender and Blyer. And even without Floro, who do we got? Probably Zach Pop. seems like a lock to be in there. It's, it is nice to see that several of the Marlins starters are fairly well stretched out, mainly Sandy and Luzardo, so that the team doesn't necessarily need to use what could be up to 15 pitching spots to open the season. They have, they have a decision to make there between whether they want to balance at 14 and 14 and squeeze on an extra position player um, in that group. That is an option there as well because both Sandy and Lazardo are, are fairly stretched out for regular duty um Pablo and Trevor and Eliezer are only slightly behind them but not quite as much as I may have feared entering the season in terms of guys actually getting stretched out and ready to go so my previous roster projection I put it out on Thursday was under the premise of using 15 pitchers on the active roster not so sure about that um that, that's going to uh, go down to the wire. Again, just hinges on whether everybody stays healthy at this very end of camp. Um, and if they do, I, I think they could go with a, a balanced roster, I should say, between 14 pitchers, 14 position players. Maybe Williams Astadio sneaks onto there. I think a lot of us content creators are rooting for that uh, with the way that he brings such a unique aesthetic to the game both offensively and defensively his defense has not been good this spring I I finally got to see it up close here in uh, Jupiter these past few days and uh, yeah not impressed on that side of it but if he is somebody that you can certainly trust to put the ball in play and as long as he has good camaraderie with his fellow Venezuelans in the Marlins clubhouse yeah that maybe that counts for something as well what else did we want to get to is on these spring takeaways. Yeah, the team is, you know, I think the floor of this team, just having conversations with people, is so much higher than last year with the floor. There's no way this team loses 95 games again. Um, they are going to be, you know, relevant all season long in a league that has 12 postseason spots, six in the National League. I think people should be prepared for that, and they should be bitterly disappointed if they are not relevant uh, all season long. That extra playoff spot really does a whole lot of difference, and as long as they're able to be even mildly competitive against these other teams in their own division, uh, like this team is going to be better than any full-season team that we've seen in these past uh, few years with the depth that they have both in their lineup and in their pitching staff there will be constantly a lot of close games that over the course of a full year um for as much as we can critique the way that Don Mattingly does certain things he is at this point one of the more experienced managers in all of baseball all of major league baseball and the one that has great continuity with a lot of the players on his team for what that accounts for yeah the problem is Again, the lack of upside, the failure to acquire that starting caliber center fielder that we know the team has coveted, the inactivity regarding the back end of their bullpen. You know, they have now cycled through a couple fringy guys for middle relief. First, Johan Lopez and now Tommy Nance. All right, all right, all right. I mean, and they do have a lot of options for middle relief that will allow them to, I think, preserve some of their pitching staff in those few games where they're actually out of it that they have done uh, a good job at, you know, acquiring and developing a lot of those bottom of the 40 man roster kind of arms who have a role to play over the course of a long season to uh, keep things going. They would be in a much better position if they did acquire, you know, a legitimately good relief pitcher instead of just taking flyers on their own development cases, and on the waiver wire. Um, That lack of investment in the back end of their bullpen has been bizarre, considering the way that last year went. Some of last year's bad luck in clutch situations could even out this upcoming year. Maybe. It just seems like, especially with the options available on short-term deals, either via free agency or via trade, um, I mean, the name, the, the... very aspirational names still out there on the trade market would be Craig Kimbrell, but even via free agency, all the names that we've seen come off the board, a lot of veterans, those who had have been in a variety of roles before that could make the team better without really any long-term risk whatsoever. All of them signed with other teams. Uh, a lot of them signed in the division. The Marlins, uh, they'll have to live with that if, if they really believe that those guys with their track records um weren't weren't going to move the needle for them well um good luck to them in uh trying to go with a, a more efficient route i guess and just uh trusting your own process uh with all of that um i, I guess the final internal move i should mention and one that was never going to have any bearing on the opening day roster but max meyer officially was reassigned to minor league camp as well um this weekend after his one and only grapefruit league appearance went perfect absolutely perfectly um a few days ago and he's not going to get an encore performance of that against major league hitters as he starts his season in triple a and he's going to be groomed as a starter He's going to be carefully watched for the development of his changeup. And there are still some mixed opinions out there about Max, um, but not quite as many as there were just a few weeks ago. People see that his fastball seems to be playing better than it was for a big chunk of last year and that he is more willing to throw his changeup than he had previously been. Watching him in games, you really see a lot of the intangibles that he brings as well, like his ability to just refocus in situation in key situations the athleticism he has on the mound to help his own cause as a fielder and to control the running game things like that he is uh, he really does have a great attitude and approach to the game and he knows that he's close to being big league ready uh, for this team so we'll be seeing him I think almost certainly In the first half of the season. And I'm really excited uh, for that too. After I record this. I will be watching one final spring game up close. Between the Marlins and Nationals. I'll be meeting probably a couple more people there. But I did want to say. Like how enjoyable these past few days have been. For me in Florida. As somebody based in New York. Just coming down to visit. For a few days and see games up close. And to meet people up close. That I've only known virtually, uh, through the screens, through social media, to actually get to know them up close and personal has been such a blessing. Both people on my own staff and fans of Fist Stripes, and colleagues of ours in the media as well. Really just too many to count that I've been able to meet for the first time and have greeted grid- me very warmly and have just given me great conversations and experiences while I've been down there, down here um in the jupiter west palm beach area for anybody that does live like within reasonable driving distance of here and hasn't experienced many of these spring training games i give it my highest possible recommendation it is such a great place to go especially if the weather lines up the way that it did in my particular case there's really no place better to spend half a day uh, singing game hanging around in that greater community, around Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, utilizing the backfields, especially on weekends, where it is open even to the public as well, to see what's going on on the minor league side. It was such a good time that I'm having a hard time imagining letting any other spring and future years go by without me making a little bit of a visit to this area and uh, seeing it myself, Exper- understanding the team in a more intimate way than I could from afar and of course just being able to enjoy this time of year when still every possibility is on the table for every team everybody is in a mostly good mood that too that was a big part of it really is a wonderful time of year a much needed semi-break for me to kind of disconnect from uh, the usual grind of preparing content and you know following um, all the observations from afar. This is really, uh, I think, a good decision uh, on my part to uh, come down here. And ultimately, that just goes down to everybody that has made me feel very comfortable in making this trip. So thank you all for that. And thank you to the audience for um, understanding me recording this on a phone. And uh, again, with... <laughs> losing a bit of my voice in the process that I think ultimately this is going to do put me in a better position to cover the team throughout the 2022 season with what I've been able to gather from the time put in on the ground at spring training itself this has been Eli Sussman managing editor of Stripes for the official show coming at you all throughout this baseball season and these this final week and a half Of spring training getting tantalizingly close to the real thing be sure to subscribe to the pod wherever you get it and please consider recommending it to any marlins fan friends in your life that want this extra dimension of specificity in breaking down all aspects of the miami marlins i appreciate the support as always go fish